0: Welcome back, everybody, to What Really Matters. I'm Tablet Deputy Editor Jeremy Stern with you in Los Angeles. I'm here, as always, with Walter Russell Mead, Tablet News writer, Global View columnist The Wall Street Journal, and distinguished fellow at Hudson. It's our final episode of the year, and we thought we'd do something special for the listeners. This time, we launched the podcast the week of July 4th, just about midway through the year, which means our listeners were deprived of your takes, Walter, on all the big news cycle events from the first half of 2023. So today we're going to do a kind of speed round news or faux news retrospective. I'll toss out nine or 10 news stories from the first half of 2023 that were big at the time. And you tell us in retrospect whether they were in fact news or faux news. Are you game?
1: You're really testing my memory here. Let's see what happens. All right.
0: All right. From February 3rd, the US announces it is tracking Chinese spy balloons over the Americas, with one drifting from Yukon to South Carolina before being shot down the next day. The event is followed by subsequent detections and shootdowns of high altitude objects elsewhere. Was it news or faux news?
1: It was probably not news in the sense that anybody who didn't think China was spying on us was just not paying attention, or for that matter, you know. I would hope we are spying on them just as assiduously i'd be very disappointed to find out that we weren't but where where it was real news was this was something the average american picked up on you could see the balloon you had on cable news and social media the progress of the balloon across the country the big debate you know why aren't we shooting it down yet i mean they let it cross the whole country before finally shooting it down I think there were some people that tried, you know, to shoot it down themselves, some vigilantes out there. Uh, So, you know, that that was a moment when the China question really entered the consciousness of the average American. And I don't think it's left.
0: February 14th, the European Parliament approves a ban on the sale of new petrol and diesel vehicles in the European Union starting in 2035, citing the need to combat climate change in Europe and promote electric vehicles. Was it news or faux news?
1: Well, it appears to have been faux news in that the Germans and the Italians seem to have already wriggled out of it and said, (laughs) well, you know, synthetic fuel vehicles. And then also as the Europeans look at, oh, wait, we've just signed a law that will give our entire car market to China uh, by 2035. There are a lot of second thoughts taking place. So here's the sense in which that was real news, is that All year long, we saw a series of what looked like they were going to be long-expected, really big victories for the climate change lobby, so to speak. And almost all of them get somehow modified, rolled back. And what it suggests is the big idea the climate um, movement has had, which is that as as it became less controversial to say that the Earth is warming, And as the effects of climate change were growing, the political consensus for difficult and expensive steps to change the trajectory would grow. In fact, it hasn't. If anything, what we've seen is even as the polls show more people think climate change is real and more people think climate change is a problem, the support for expensive or job-eating green initiatives just is fading away. That's real news.
0: March 10th, Iran and Saudi Arabia agree to resume diplomatic relations, which were severed in 2016, at talks mediated by China. Was it news or faux news?
1: Oh, complete faux news. Um, We've all noticed just how Buddy, buddy, Iran and Saudi Arabia have been ever since the warm love every day that comes from Riyadh and drifts over to Tehran and back and forward. Uh, You know the spirit of reconciliation that has has made the Houthis sing Kumbaya with everyone. Uh, So you know it, it was a PR event staged for PR. It benefited everybody. They did it, and then life went back pretty much to normal. Definition of faux news.
0: April 4th, Finland becomes the 31st member of NATO, doubling the alliance's border with Russia. Was it news or faux news?
1: Well, um, putting it that way, I think uh, it's a bit of faux news because the real news, in a sense, is that Sweden, which was supposed to join when Finland did, still hasn't because Turkey and Hungary are still sort of playing games with it. Uh, And Turkey clearly understands that It can keep extracting concessions as long as it holds the Finland card in the air, but a Sweden card in the air, but the minute you let in Sweden, you lose all that leverage. So what rational Turkish leader is going to throw away all this leverage? I would also say, you know, you you heard a lot of self-congratulatory garbage, basically coming from whether it's people in the administration or the sort of press chorus that that is dedicated to telling us how wonderful the administration is you know it's saying ha! russia attacks ukraine we come back stronger we grow nato a Nobody really doubted that in a war with Russia, if Sweden and Finland were threatened, they would be on the West side. It's not like, oh, they were undecided. What were they going to do? Were they going to side with Russia? Were they (laughs) going to side with America? No, you know, we've already known what that was about. So what, what was interesting is that they decided that they really needed to get into gear, not because NATO and America were stronger, but because they were weaker because they perceived the status quo was no longer enough to contain Russia, hold it in check. And it's a sign of no confidence or less confidence. And this, one of the real problems I think we have as a society is the the extent to which partisan media either on the Democratic side or on the Republican side, there's less of it, but it's more intense. It makes up in intensity what it lacks in numbers. We'll deliberately tell people that good news is bad news or bad news is good news, or we'll simply be unable to ex- understand it themselves because they're so caught up in a partisan framing. We, we as, as the world situation gets darker, we all need to become a lot clearer about what's really going on. And the media needs to to step up and do a better job, I think.
0: April 15th, nuclear power in Germany ends after 50 years with the closure of the country's final power plants. Was it news or faux news?
1: Well, it was hardly a surprise. Long dying patient finally kicks the bucket <laughs> uh, in, in one sense. And also, Germany continuing to, you know, Germany demonstrating that the United States is not the most irrational, dysfunctional political society on the planet. You know, this was for the for the Greens, this who were an essential member of the current German coalition, this was kind of the, this keeps them in the game. If they had given up on this, um, they would have lost all standing. Now, what happened instead was, they they forced it through, and the whole coalition has grown steadily less popular. I mean, we've reached a moment where the AFD is more popular than the Greens.
0: And the Social Democrats, I think, at this point. Yeah. yeah,
1: yeah. This is shocking. You know, it's a sign that the German political establishment is as bad as its job as the American political establishment. And when you think that the United States and Germany, for all our strengths and weaknesses— really are the two pillars of NATO. Finland and Sweden feeling bleaker about NATO's strength is, you know, it's a it's a smart call.
0: May first, San Francisco based First Republic Bank fails and is auctioned off by the US FDIC to JP Morgan Chase for ten point seven billion dollars. The collapse surpassed March's collapse of Silicon Valley Bank to become the second largest in US history. Was it news or phone news? Eh
1: I would say from the standpoint of history kind of faux news, whenever interest rates move sharply, the chances are you'll find that you'll have trouble in the banking system. And what is actually interesting, at least so far about the banking system, is that it's accommodated this very serious increase in interest rates with only a couple of bank failures. You go back to the 1970s when inflation really hit for longer and harder, and it wiped out a whole sector of the banking industry, something that someone your age, Jeremy, probably has never even heard of, the savings and loans, which used to be a kind of a parallel banking uh, sector, you know. On the other hand, if you want to worry about banks, and worrying about banks is always a good idea, uh, the the real estate crash coming from COVID is probably going to have a much much bigger impact on the banks than in the future than than what we've seen so far. I, I'm visiting friends in New York. I took a walk on the East Side up up First Avenue from the '50s into the upper 60s and there was storefront after storefront that was empty it was worse than after 911 it was worse than 2008 2009 i've never seen new york at least this part of new york in in this condition and that means as you know talking to people the reason that's happening is because if the, if the owners of the buildings were to accept what are now realistic rents for these places, you would then have to write down the values of the buildings, which would put a lot of people in violation of their covenants with their lenders, but would also cause a lot of heartburn of the lenders who've lent money on these, on these things. So we are seeing something big is still working its way through the financial system, and we don't know where that's going to go yet.
0: June twenty third, the Wagner group, led by Yevgeny Prigozhin, begins an armed conflict with the Russian military, seizing the city of Rostov and portions of the Voronezh oblast, before withdrawing the next day after a peace agreement brokered by Belarusian President Alexander Lukashenko. Two months later, Prigozhin was killed in a plane crash in Russia. Was this coup monkey news or faux news?
1: Well, coup monkeys are always less newsworthy than coups that succeed. What's that old line? None dare call it treason because if treason prospers, then, you know, it's not treason anymore. (laughs) Look, I think uh, Wagner got too big for its britches. Um, Putin is in charge. Um, Putin called on an ally to to put a little bomb, as we understand it now, on the wing of the plane. There you you have it. Uh, Somebody like Putin is in power until he isn't. And right now he's still in power. And I I do think it is probably bigger news that when that happened, there was an instant surge in, oh my gosh, Russia's falling apart. The West is winning our glorious policies of supporting Ukraine. We're cracking Russia like an egg. And the debate, oh, you know, when we beat Russia, do we divide it up into lots of little countries <laughs> or do we like allow it to live? Which is our interest better? It was, all right, the massive stupidity of the Western political establishment, which has brought us two decades of worsening international and domestic news, has not yet been cured by the shock of reality.
0: I'd forgotten about just a few months ago, we were treating Russia like it was the Ottoman Empire after (laughs) World War I. Who gets this chunk? (laughs) All right, final two stories, and with these I'm going to cheat a little since they're ongoing stories, but any review of 2023 would be incomplete without them. GLP-1 drugs like Ozempic for diabetes, Wagovi for obesity, and others that – Electrified medicine, popular culture, stock markets, with the promise of apparently very effective weight loss drugs that can also cut symptoms of heart failure and strokes, and which also seem to have very manageable side effects. Is this all too good to be true? Has it been news or faux news?
1: Oh, I think it's news, and um, you know these also reduce apparently cravings for alcohol and drugs. It just and and one suspects that this is just the beginning. That now having found that. You know this sort of previously unsuspected avenue of intervention exists and has these impacts. We're going to see progressive improvements. I think in, in this year, a lot of it took the form of a fight over whether insurance was going to cover because these drugs cost about a thousand dollars a month or more. Uh, if they're and and insurance companies are not thrilled at the idea of. Picking up the cost, but on the, and I think Medicare is still not picking up the cost. Uh, I can see from an insurance company's point of view, because like, okay, somebody's working for a company, they're staying healthy now, and I'm paying $1,000 a month. Okay, they're going to be healthier later, but they might not be working for that company. So I may not be saving on the back end. So you can see why a, a company insurance company would have a problem. But I think for Medicare's point of view, you know, one prediction I'll make is that the U.S. government is going to end up providing some relief for seniors who want to take these these drugs. Um, th- the possibility not only of extending life expectancy, but extending healthy life expectancy is too good to pass up. I'll, right. and I, I'll remind you, Jeremy, we had to talk about expensive drugs earlier. And the point I made there still stands, the most expensive drug is the drug that hasn't been invented yet. No amount of money can get you that drug. And what we need above all is 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 a healthcare system that keeps developing new treatments. And if that costs money, we need to figure out how to pay for it. This innovation that is coming out of Americans are leading the way in a lot of these things. This is a gift to future generations and to the whole world. And it's one we want to keep giving.
0: All right. Final story of 2023, Walter, and it's only four words. Elon Musk bought Twitter. Has it been news or phone news?
1: My Twitter, I don't know about you, Jeremy, my Twitter experience hasn't really changed. I, you know, I, I mean, gosh, there are a lot of stupid people on Twitter, and many of them decide they want to engage with me one way or another. That was true pre-Musk. It's true today. A lot of people that I follow on Twitter spent all of their time debating about how horrible Twitter has become and how full of hate it is and how poorly it's supervised and how sometimes the wrong people are kicked off and sometimes the right people are are kicked off too, you know, too quick. Blah, 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 blah. All right. Okay, that was the same pre Musk as it is today. Twitter is an angry, bitter place. But if you follow, if you if you pick your the people that you follow wisely, for somebody like me who needs to stay on top of the news, it is still essential. There is nothing, you know. I mean, I keep hearing about Blue Sky Threads. These, you know, how many Mammoth was that Mastodon, whatever the heck it was. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they keep coming, but somehow, Twitter remains the platform that everybody wants to hate. Everybody loves to hate. On the other hand, I think Elon Musk might hate it now too, if we look at how much it's cost him and uh, and uh, how how far it seems from any kind of a financial turnaround.
0: all right. That does it for this year's news. Let's have one last big conversation for twenty twenty three There was a recent op-ed from Janan Ganesh that I won't try to paraphrase or pass off as my own insight. I thought it was a great and kind of provocative topic to end the year on, Walter, and related to our big conversation last week about the persistence of Anglo-American power in the world. So I'll just quote from Ganesh writing in the Financial Times on December 19th. Quote, What is happening to the United States in the 21st century is too complex to be captured in that blunt word, decline. As the nation's share of world output has dropped, its influence on world culture, on the tastes, idioms, and habits of foreigners is as vast as ever. Whether your concerns are highbrow, where should I do a postgraduate degree, middling, what show will I stream tonight, or popular, who owns footballer Declan Rice, America is inescapable. We are now a couple of decades into its relative loss of ground to China in traditional power terms. The knock-on effect for U.S. prestige in other domains should be registering by now, but it is staggeringly negligible, close quote. Walter, do you agree? And if so, what accounts for it?
1: You know, listening to that excerpt, Jeremy, the first thing that struck me was, boy, how standards have declined. I mean, you know, the idea of which graduate program shall I study? That's the example of a highbrow concern. That's the most middlebrow thing I think I've ever heard. Anybody in the 1950s when when those phrases came, you know, highbrow, middlebrow, lowbrow, became a really big deal, would have thought that was so essence of (laughs) middlebrow. And anybody who would think that that, oh my goodness, was highbrow, was like, you know, was like just so hopeless. They probably were read Will and Ariel Durant, Will and Amy Durant, you know, it's like, it was that bad. Right? Probably had probably like copies of the reader's digest on their uh, table, not to mention reading time magazine. Oh my goodness. And, you know, and then the streaming on Netflix was middle brow. <laughs> <laughs> right. Ridgerton? What was it? Was that the name of that like um, knockoff of um, oh, 19, 18th century British romance yeah, that's stuff? Right. Yeah, uh, yeah. That's that's like gutter brow, <laughs> <laughs> and now suddenly this is like middle brow. So what? So you know, American cultural influence may not be declined, but culture is just heading straight <laughs> for the bottom. <laughs> <laughs> no, like, you know, I mean, middle brow even would include like listening to Leonard Bernstein conduct Mahler. That would be middle brow. That's
0: how <laughs> so for the younger listeners, what's what's the quintessential nineteen fifties and sixties example of highbrow?
1: Uh well, that would be like, you know, seriously involved in, you know, high-end cutting edge thought of some kind. Um, you know, uh
0: was jazz highbrow? Or middlebrow?
1: Some of it claimed to be highbrow, and people allowed that to happen. But it, but not jazz that anybody liked, okay? <laughs> that was middlebrow. If you liked it, it was middlebrow. Let's be <laughs> clear. French existential, you know, so um, what was that play, Waiting for Godot? You would have people calling that highbrow. But a lot of people would say, man, it's really middlebrow, because that was the great parlor game was, you know, like turning the tables on someone else in conversation. Your highbrow is my middlebrow. But right. but nobody would have tried to come across with, I'm going to graduate school. I'm really highbrow. <laughs> or not even I'm going. I'm thinking of going. I just don't know which one to take. <laughs> right. Anybody with any claim to being highbrow would have known for years exactly where they were going. And, the you know, it would be questions of like, you know, which professor at University of Chicago were you? And, and you would have some incredibly arcane and recondite reason for preferring this Straussian to that Straussian or whatever, <laughs> whatever it might be. Now, in that sense... That's really proving um, his point, Gosia's point, that American influence in the world remains unparalleled because we're all still going downhill. (laughs) And and a sort of hallmark of American culture is actually of the sort of, of demoticizing culture, which is different from democratizing culture, of going to the lowest common denominator um, going to universe, you know, sort of, you know, McDonald's um, as something that every six-year-old in the world just feels is delicious. You know, that actually, there's a kind of a, you know, a real purposefulness of that of identifying the consumer sensations that are so powerful that they're irresistible, and that if you can get that formula, your the market is going to be vast for you. And if you think about it, a lot of cultural movement in the last century has been along that lines. I mean, I think about what's happened to say popular music, you know, since the the 30s and 40s, when you still had elements of middle brow infused into popular culture in in various ways, Um, you know, sort of witty song lyrics, Noel Coward, things like that, and sort of you know, operetta kinds of airs and things floating around in it. But then you go to rock and roll, which just strips away and gets like much more beat, simple chord progressions, boom, 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 uni- a universal thing. And then, you know, you sort of move on to that, to things like rap music. And and so that, it, you know, it's a continual stripping away of everything but the kind of essential thing that causes the primal response for the most people, in a sense, devoid of any kind of cultural frame. So that, you know, you have to have, you know, it's hard to would be hard to listen to classical Indian sitar music without some awareness of what it's coming from, right? Uh, Or classical Western music for that matter. But, you know, this sort of roll over Beethoven, tell Tchaikovsky the news, that Chuck Berry message is still there. So Johnny B. Good is still dominating the airways, and we continue to move in this direction in virtually every form of entertainment. I don't think it's a good thing, actually, but it's a very real thing.
0: Do you think there are any implications that we should think about uh, with regard to America's competition with China? I mean, is it a reason to be optimistic about America's prospects in Cold War 2.0 that it still does seem like the ubiquity and charisma of American culture is, you know, I, it, it, it's, it's hard to compare it to Chinese culture, which seems to have much less international appeal, at least on the level that you're discussing.
1: Well, ask yourself, which culture had more global influence in 1940, French culture or German culture, okay? Ask yourself in the ancient world, who was who had the cooler cultures, Athens or Sparta, okay? So, you know, uh, supremacy in pop culture is not actually the key to world power. I, I hope I'm not shocking or disappointing anybody out there, but it is true that an inventive creative culture, which allows new ideas to move into the market, is going is likely to also be a culture that's very good at bringing new tech and new drug ideas and other treatments into the market, like this WeGovy thing we were talking about earlier. So, you know, I think there is, I wouldn't say that pop culture is the ground and anchor of our strength and hope. And, and even to some degree, the fact that pop culture has for the last 100 plus years been driven by technological advances, you know, movies, um, stereo, uh, streaming, you know, these things actually create new contexts for, in which popular culture can arise. I was looking uh, at a, uh, a an Indian video, uh, Vande Madaram, a kind of, you know, the hymn of the Hindu nationalists, and it was done with sort of... Bollywood production things, but a lot of American dance moves creeping into a right. sort of Hindu nationalist presentation. What was it in Gorvidal's? Vidal once wrote a book, and as usual, not very fond of America. In the book, but uh, you know, love it or loathe it, you can neither lose it nor leave it. I, I, I do. Some years ago, I was down in Patagonia in uh, Ushuaia which is the um, the furthest south city in the world at the, in, in Tierra del Fuego. And there was music playing as I was just walking down the boardwalk of the street. It was Bob Dylan uh, <laughs> at the very ends of the earth. I mean, we weren't the only culture that was there. These huge busloads of Germans were going out every morning at 6 a.m. to the town dump.
0: Was the waste management company a, a German blue chip or something?
1: No, no. <laughs> Bird watchers, ah. German bird watchers, <laughs> and so coming to stare through powerful <laughs> binoculars at the city dump of Ushuaia because you had out, you know, you had the various Andean birds and arctic species coming together. Right. So, um, so you know, American culture is not alone in
0: the world. <laughs> All right, that does it for the big conversation. Let's end on the tip of the week. Speaking of the edge of the world in southern Argentina, Walter, we're sending you off to Argentina and Brazil for the next couple weeks. Maybe we'll get the chance to record an episode from ground zero of Javier Malay's shock therapy reforms. But in the meantime, just tell us what books you plan to take with you in the next couple of weeks or what's on your Kindle for the end of the year.
1: Well, actually, the first place I'm going before I get to Argentina and Brazil is I'm going to the Galapagos Islands for a
0: week. So you'll be reading Charles Darwin.
1: I am. I'm actually taking Origin of Species. I figure what better book to read as I check his homework, you know? Uh, You know, like, really? Does that finch really have a longer beak than the other (laughs) finch? I intend to find out. Uh, See for myself. Oh, I'm taking, uh, I'm in the middle of reading the, uh, you know, the, uh, what is it? The book about the trial of Pétain in France, France on trial. I think it's called. Julian
0: Jackson, yeah.
1: Yeah, he re- I liked his, his uh, life of de Gaulle so much I thought mm-hmm. I would would give this one a shot. Actually in the Galapagos I intend to spend more time snorkeling than um, than reading. In in uh, Argentina and Brazil I am going to be actually this terrible. I'm I'm not going to be reading long books. I'm going to be following the news because it's so interesting right now what's going on in Argentina. This um, amazing experiment in in what is looking like a weirdly an experiment in possibly sane financial policy this will certainly fail in argentina but <laughs> but Millet is sort of trying to explain to people why argentina which should be such a rich country has been poor for so long the answer basically being the argentines keep voting for sort of corrupt incompetent and profoundly misguided per- peronists I don't know if we've had this conversation but Thinking about Perón in Argentina and American history, it seems to me that, think about how American history would have worked out if instead of Franklin and Eleanor Roosevelt at the center of American history, it had been uh, Jimmy Hoffa marrying Marilyn Monroe. And (laughs) that's more or less what has (laughs) happened in Argentina. (laughs) Um, But it is, it's a wonderful country. And I'm taking my 16-year-old nephew, 17-year-old nephew, I should say, who's in second semester senior year high school, who has heard that there are stakes in Argentina that he is interested in finding out more about. I suspect uh, suspect he and I will.
0: All right. There you have it. 2023 in the books. Thanks to our producer, Noam Bloom. Thanks to Will Cummings at Hudson. Thanks to my co-host, Walter Russell Mead. I'm Jeremy Stern. We'll see you next year.